Hello and welcome to The Download. I'm your host, Dave Richardson, and it is Economics Fridays with Eric Lascelles, Canada's hardest working economist. And uh, and Eric, you, you must be trying to figure out how to squeeze 25 hours into a 24-hour day these days. It's uh, the, the economic news is just unbelievable, the flow right now. We may need Elon Musk. I think Mars might have a 25-hour day or something, 26-hour. I could use that right now. <laughs> I, 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 I like it. And, uh, and, and as usual, you're, you're at the very least filling all 24. Uh, they can't see the video. It, it looks like Eric has not slept in several days. So, uh, and, and, and one of the things that might have been keeping you up at night last night was the report that came out early this morning on U.S. inflation. And maybe you were right in not sleeping, or maybe you should have gotten some rest so that you'd, you'd have lots of energy to deal with it. Um, a, a surprising number, kind of the wrong way, but what is it and how do, how do you interpret it? Yeah, well, just more inflation strength. So what, what else is new? That's been theme almost constantly since the spring of, of last year. So we're, we're dealing with like a year and a quarter at least of this at this point in time. And so, yeah, overall prices, consumer prices in the U.S. rose a percentage point in a single month. So that's quite a bit. We like it when those go up two percentage points in a year. So one per month, not good. Uh, core, not as hot, but nevertheless up 0.6%. And so uh, particularly on the headline side, setting another 40-year record in terms of annual inflation up 8.6% in the U.S. So uh, a lot of strength. And as mentioned, uh, it was more than had been budgeted for. And so again, that's also been a pretty constant refrain. And I have to say, we we got wise to this about a year ago. So we have been pretty reliably uh, sporting above consensus forecasts. So we, we, we did think it was more likely to be higher than people thought than lower. But equally, I'm not, I can't say I'm pleased by that, that outcome. And of course, it, it brings all sorts of implications. And I guess first and foremost, it means that the purchasing power of the average person is is further compromised, which isn't good. That's why we don't like high inflation. Uh, we also don't like it much because it, of course, forces central banks into action. And so it suggests that all else equal, central banks have to do maybe more as opposed to less. And you know, we're already in this world of central banks going up 50 basis points at a crack and doing that seemingly at every opportunity. And you, you might have caught wind, and this is now me blurring uh, geographic borders, I guess, but you might have caught wind uh, that Canada's Bank of Canada governor was sort of hinting in the last day or two that you know, they could do 75 basis point moves. They might need to go even faster. And previously, they talked about wanting to get to 2 to 3%. And they were saying, gee, maybe we need to get to, to 3% plus. So unfortunately, this high inflation is suggesting that interest rates, at least in the short run, probably have to go faster uh, and, and further than before, which, which isn't particularly welcome, uh, given given the recession risks that are already not trivial. And uh, in fact, given yield curves that are now getting pretty close to inverting at different points in the curve, which of course is a, a traditional recession risk indicator and is, is being driven at this point by the fact that, that people are having to increase those short-term rates to reflect what central banks might have to do about all this. So not a, not, not, not a great setup, unfortunately. We were still dealing with this high inflation. I will say, uh, if, if given the luxury of thinking a little further down the line, that uh, we do see some slight improvements to supply chains, which have been a big inflation driver. And, you know, Shanghai ports are becoming a little bit unstuck and some shortages are easing. Some obviously are not. Uh, but nevertheless, some are easing. And so that's a welcome 
thing. Uh, you know, we, we, we keep thinking that, you know, commodity prices, well, gee, they probably stay high. Maybe they even have to go a little higher, but they probably don't jump as aggressively over the next year as they did over the last year. That takes some pressure off. So it's not, it's not unreasonable to think that we're not that far from a peak in inflation, but equally, particularly given just how broad inflation has gotten and like suddenly you're finding it in, you know, citrus fruits and dry cleaning costs and, and, you know, toys and things that we would think would have very little connection to Ukraine and Russia and, and, and certain, certain constraints elsewhere. Uh, it's going to take so, a, a while to, to tame this inflation. I think central banks have it in them, but nevertheless, there's some work to be done here. It's not settling down naturally after the, the initial shock of, of the, the war in Ukraine, which I think some people had hoped would happen. Yeah, and, and, and there, was, there was even some, you know, as, as, as we've been talking and talking with, with some, some of the investment managers, the portfolio managers, some, some hope that we'd, we'd actually started to see signs that we were, we were getting past the peak uh, in inflation, this this number kind of of, of eliminates that thinking. No, or, yeah, well, or, I mean, I, or is, that, say, is that too pessimistic a view of it? I, gee, I mean, it's it's not. Uh, it, certainly, it's not wrong. I mean, there's there's nuance, I guess, to, to the answer. And so, for instance. Um, you know, let, let's recognize that here we got a you know one percent month over month price gain in a single month. So that's a big number. Uh, it was a one point two percent gain two months ago. So like we have seen slightly more intense monthly increases, though that 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 was the worst. I should admit. So we shouldn't shouldn't celebrate too much. Um, we we do see car prices starting to roll over. We think it's more than credible to think that dwelling costs should at least be less inflationary going forward as interest rates start to to, to bite. And we have seen. We'll see if how this adjusts. I guess based on this number, but we have seen market inflation expectations become a little bit less high. And so I still think it's right to think that we're within a, a, you know, a quarter or so probably of the peak year over year number that we're going to see that I think that's still a reasonable guess. It's not obvious that US CPI has to work its way into the double digits or anything quite like that. And so I think we're not far from a peak, but equally, it's going to take some time to work this back down. And you know, the, the longer this stays high, the more tightening, as I said, and the more tightening, the, the worse it looks for the economy. And so you know, we already have, as you know, a below consensus growth forecast. We've said we think the recession risk is pretty high. I'm not really changing my forecast at all on this basis, but I think maybe the market is to some extent catching up to us if I want to be charitable to us, I suppose. Uh, and unfortunately, that has included uh, you know, risk assets declining in response to this latest number. As a former uh, scholarship earning cross-country runner, often people are trying to catch up to you but uh, but the uh, just 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 for the record here as 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 because we haven't had you on for a month where where do you have your recession risk right now yeah well gosh it's a, it's a good question I, I i i will start by acknowledging there are absolutely scenarios that a soft landing can occur you need a little good yeah. luck but like yes. we, we could have an economy that just keeps growing the next couple of years do not forget so i'm going to give you the bad news in a moment possibly i've reversed the order of how i should deliver these things i'm, I'm not a you know good doctor in terms of the the bad news and then the good news after but uh <laughs> yeah. you know I, i'm starting with the good news you know this economy would have grown pretty fast in 2022 if it wasn't for all of these awful headwinds that have struck it's an economy that does want to grow quickly. And so if we can just dodge some of the bad things, it, it could well still grow. And so, uh, you know, it's not impossible that supply chains improve a little quicker than we're assuming. Uh, it's quite conceivable that China snaps back open faster than we've assumed. We've been very pleasantly surprised that Beijing hasn't had to do a, a full lockdown. Uh, it, it's possible that inflation starts to turn more abruptly than we're thinking in the next few months, particularly as some of the original drivers start to, to abate. So the, the, it is possible commodity prices come off, notably, to the extent that, that weaker economic conditions are anticipated. And that would be a, a helpful thing. So there are ways growth can continue. I do think, though, that in, to my eye, 
the recession is more likely over the next 18 months or so. In my in my head, I feel like there's a 70% chance of a recession. Uh, I would emphasize recessions are temporary. They're not a forever phenomenon. Uh, markets are often enthusiastically rebounding before they're even over. Uh, this this is unlikely to be a recession on the if it were to happen on the scale of of you know, the, the initial pandemic, which was you know a 10, 15, 20, 25 percent drop. We're talking about you know one, two, three percent drops here, which is quite a different equation. It's unlikely to be a, as deep or, or the same experience as the global financial crisis. Maybe I think in our heads, the last couple of recessions were doozies, and uh, you know it would more likely be kind of a conventional one where yep, there's a couple quarters of, of palpable weakness. There's some suffering that comes with that, but it's 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 not a forever story, and you you bounce back fairly nimbly off that. In this case, once high inflation has been vanquished, and, and that maybe is the main point to make. We've been saying, listen, obviously the best case scenario here is that the economy keeps growing, inflation comes down, all is neat and tidy, and so markets would be you know, euphoric, I think, in that scenario. Arguably, the second best outcome here is you get a recession. Sounds bad, but like it, it, it's a useful recession that, that fixes inflation and sets us up for rising prosperity over the next decade and the next generation because it's hard for that to happen when inflation is as high as it is. And so I'm not quite claiming that markets are going to be clapping their hands and cheering if there is a recession, but I will say markets might be you know, surprisingly tolerant of that outcome to the extent they recognize it serves a, a greater good, uh, and that would be taming inflation. That, that's the goal of central banks right now. I think markets recognize that's the right priority to have. So so that's kind of a, the, the inflation report's kind of a, a, a real-time snapshot of, of, of what's happening in the economy. Uh, a, a week ago, we had uh, the jobs report from the U.S. Today, we had the jobs report from Canada. That's more of a rear-view mirror in, in terms of economic activity. W- what did we see there, and does that give us any signs of of, of where we are uh, going in, in the future, given given the, all the other economic data that's coming out. Right. You know, the, the numbers were, were not bad. In fact, they, they were pretty decent. In fact, really, by any non-post-pandemic standard, they were amazing. But we've kind of gotten used to amazing rates of job growth and, and, and economic growth more broadly. And so um, the numbers look fine. I, I will say and I'll speak more to this in a moment, we're seeing maybe a subtle deceleration behind the scenes here. Um, but the first part of 2022 has been pretty fast growth, actually, by, by, our, by our estimations. It's a bit blurry in the U.S. They actually had a negative first quarter GDP, but it was kind of weirdness and in inventories and imports. And I, I would say, to me, the true trend was one in which Americans were enthusiastically spending. So I'd, I'd stand by the claim that the you know, momentum was, was pretty good at the start of this year, even for them. Uh, but on the, on the specific numbers, so this is, this is May data. And so U.S. job numbers actually added 390,000 positions. So, you know, steady state versus population would be no more than 100,000. So this is still eating through, uh, gee, there's not really any economic slack left, eating through something, certainly tightening the economy, I suppose. Uh, the unemployment rate stayed at 3.6, which is like a, a, a tenth above the pre-pandemic low. And as we've said many times, we think if anything, labor markets are even tighter than an unemployment rate would make them seem, which helps to explain why inflation is so high. So um, you know, good, good number there. For Canada, really very similar. You and I were talking just before we started recording. So Canada, a 40,000 gain. That's almost mathematically identical to what the U.S. did if you adjust for population. So it's also like a, a, a good number and actually was even stronger than it first looked because it was all full-time. In fact, it was all full-time and then some. They added 135,000 full-time jobs. So there were some part-time workers who lost jobs. We're hoping those are the ones who gained the full-time jobs, I suppose. Uh, and Canadian unemployment is now down to 5.1. Like we were already at a 
40 plus year low, uh, just e- e- even lower on that front. And so uh, the labor market is extremely tight. The economy was evidently still growing in May. So I don't think we're talking recession happening right right now. Uh, I, I will say we can see some evidence of business sentiment turning right now. So businesses have been saying they want to do a lot of capex and a lot of hiring. They haven't quite backed away from that fully. We're going to learn a lot on Monday when the National Federation of Independent Business reports on that front. But uh, they, they haven't quite changed their tune fully. But business sentiment is is definitely souring. So there's a recognition that this is a tricky time with supply chains, inflation, China, war, oil prices, all those things swirling together. And so my assumption is that we're going to continue to see a deceleration in the rate of, of, of hiring. Uh, if you were to get a recession, at some point there would be job losses. I'm not quite sure I'm predicting that for the next few months or anything as, as, as near as that. But I, I would expect some some deceleration to happen. But for the moment, it, it is coming from a, a period of, of just unusual labor market strength. And uh, you, you really need to squint your eyes to complain about the labor market these days. Like you could say, for instance, that in the U.S., weekly jobless claims are starting to inch a little higher. You know, they were down sub 200,000 for a while. They're back up to 220,000 or something per week. And so uh, higher being bad. And so we're seeing, I think, a little bit of a turn there. But for the moment, it's, it's mostly conjecture that the labor market could weaken. Yeah. And, it, and how, how so you talk, talked a little bit about the consumer, but but very specifically when we talk to the consumer, uh, are, are they are, are they still in great shape? And and then on the inflation front, they're in great shape. We've seen, you know, strong wage gains. Are, are they showing are they demonstrating any behavior with with in terms of uh, inflation expectations that suggests that they're they're holding back from some of these purchases and, mm-hmm. and just saying, hey, I'm not going to pay that higher price, which might constrain some of some of the pricing power that businesses have. Right. Yeah, that's a great set of questions. By the way, I forgot to mention of relevance to that for the Canadian job numbers, Canadian wage growth kind of weirdly despite a very tight labor market, wasn't keeping pace with the U.S. and some other markets. And we weren't quite fully understanding of why. I still don't know why. Uh, but I will say the difference just shrank a lot. So Canadian hourly wage growth is now rising 4.5% year over year. It was running 3.4 as of the prior month. So that's a big acceleration in the month of May if, if, if that sticks. And that looks a lot more like the U.S. experience. It makes more sense given how tight the labor market is. So, gee, I'm, my answer is extremely mixed in terms of your, your question. And so let me, let me see if I can sort this. I'm probably going to fail and do good, bad, good, bad a few times. But um, so to start with, I mean, you're, you're, you're certainly right. I mean, households saved a lot of money uh, over the pandemic. And so there's a nice little buffer that exists, a multi-hundred billion dollar buffer in a Canadian context that you would think would would bail some people out as rates go up and gas prices go up or if people lose their jobs and, and things like that. So that's quite helpful. Now, it's fair to say that money is maybe disproportionately in the hands of wealthier people, so it's not equally distributed. And so that that maybe isn't a perfect setup. But nevertheless, there's, there's, there's more money and a lot of money is, is still being held in checking and saving accounts. And so that's like a liquid assets that could particularly easily be deployed if, if they had to. So I do feel there's a bit more uh, of a buffer against bad times maybe than we might normally have. So certainly that is is quite good. Um, you know, consumers have been spending. Consumers, though, are saying, and this is an, to something you were asking, Dave, consumers are saying, though, that maybe they're feeling a little less enthusiastic. And so, for instance, uh, in the context of high inflation, it is motivating people to pull back as opposed to spend more. Uh, that's you know bad for the economy, but maybe good for inflation, right? It does suggest that some yeah. of the, the corporate pricing power is, is maybe 
maybe going to ebb to the extent that consumers are becoming more price sensitive. And so that might reduce the amount of inflation that gets passed through. So that's that's good for controlling inflation. Of course, that's not great for profit margins. And so, you know, there's good and bads that kind of cascade in different directions. But in the end, I think job one is controlling inflation. And if we can kind of dampen some of the echo chamber effects, that's probably a good thing. So maybe worthwhile hurting profit margins for a moment if it means there just isn't another round of price increases that gets passed through. And then whether we're seeing signs of actual weakness. So that's intentions. Are we seeing signs of actual weakness? You know, not that much. I mean, I guess I would say uh, it depends. Like I think, you know, I'm not a corporate analyst, but like Canadian Tire uh, reported in Canada, and they were saying they weren't seeing people shifting to cheaper brands or shifting to essentials or or, or, or scaling back from the you know the, the luxury products. Particularly, uh, conversely, Walmart and Target reported not that long ago, and they were saying people are buying more store brands and buying more essentials, fewer discretionary items, and, and this sort of thing. And I've I've seen some retail analysts suggest you know to the I suspect that is probably the right story, and what will happen eventually in a lot of places. Um, you know, it may be a story, and, and again, if the economy were to weaken everything everything suffers to some extent uh, but I, I saw one clever retail analyst making the comment that you know the the, the high end may be fine to the extent that uh, you know high end uh, consumers have saved a lot of money and are, are, are doing well and much less affected by higher food costs and things like that just not a big fraction of their spending basket uh, and and the low end uh, is uh, is potentially uh, it's sustainable just because people are shifting to cheaper products and, and you know essentials must be bought and things like that and it's kind of the mushy middle maybe that's that's most most at risk in that context but but bottom line is maybe some hints of consumers starting to pull back a little bit but but no evidence of a, of a collapse at this juncture yeah i i uh, another number i heard yesterday was uh triple a or the equivalent of, of caa in, in canada in, in the u.s reporting that uh, the number of calls they're getting for people running out of gas on the side of the roads up 30 percent and it was uh, i had my first over 200 dollar fill up uh on my in my car yesterday so you can see like it, it uh it, it really is uh you're really starting to see and feel the pinch uh right across the board whether you're you're rich poor obviously it's it's harder on uh, on on people with uh with lower income one of the questions i get and we'll just finish off with this eric uh, and, and very briefly, because I, I, I know you, you, you think of this uh, in terms of the broader impact it has on the economy than specifically uh, looking at the, at the housing market. But I often get questions from people who, who listen to the podcast, say, could you ask Eric a little bit more about housing and particularly the Canadian housing market? Seeing a little bit of softening there, but is, is there anything you're seeing there? That's that's concerning or outside of your expectations of what would have happened when you see interest rates start to rise and and the risk of recession increasing. Yeah, um, gee, I mean, I, I wouldn't say too many surprising things, but, but but in the context of we're assuming housing weakens, so things are happening here. They're just happening as you would imagine they should when interest rates are rising at the fastest rate in at least twenty years, if not if not longer. And so uh, rates go up, interest rate sensitive sectors generally weaken. Housing is perhaps the most uh, the foremost among those, and so uh, housing is 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 cooling. Um, it, it's it's an open question just how much. I'll, I'll give you a couple scenarios in a moment, maybe, uh, but uh, it is cooling. And so in a Canadian 
Canadian context, I can say that uh, we, we do see existing home sales declining. We, we do see like home sales to inventory ratios turning uh, in, a, in a less favorable direction for sellers and more favorable for buyers, which is a euphemism for a weaker market. But again, which is good for buyers, but, but bad for, for sellers, I suppose. Uh, and uh, I can say as well, particularly visibly in the markets that ran up the most. And so I'm thinking of kind of smaller cities in southern Ontario as a particularly prominent example, though there are examples elsewhere as well. Um, it's you, you do see you know, tentatively home prices starting to hook a little bit lower. Uh, now, uh, you know, these aren't the highest quality metrics. You've got to wait a few months to get those. These are ones that aren't quite as well quality adjusted. And if people are selling more condos and fewer mansions, that, that throws things off. But but nevertheless, I, I do think we're, we're seeing what you would expect, which is like the hottest housing markets are cooling more and the ones that didn't run up as much, including some of the bigger cities in, in Canada, which were just less hot uh, than elsewhere, uh, are, are not yet showing as much signs of weakness. So uh, so that that is starting to happen. And so you know, when you combine um, you know, poor affordability to start with, uh, which was true before the pandemic, even more so after the prospect of mortgage rates going up more, a little bit of regulatory tightening that's gone on. It's just a little harder to buy a home. Foreigners can't do it as easily as an example. A little easier to construct a home as some regulations are tweaked, which is probably good for the housing market, but but not maybe good for home prices in the short run. And then similarly, if you think, well, gee, maybe the economy is going to be a bit softer and unemployment could be higher, it is a recipe where housing should be somewhat weaker. So we're budgeting for that. Our, our base case scenario is a, a 10% drop in Canadian home prices, which, by the way, still leaves them way higher than they were two years ago, just about everywhere. Um, and optimistic scenario would say maybe somehow home prices kind of hold on and stay flat to a little higher, which has surprised us a few times over the last 20 years when, when adverse things happened and housing didn't do as much as you thought it would on, on the weak side. Uh, and then you know, a more pessimistic scenario, not a worst case, but a more pessimistic would say, you know, maybe home prices have to fall 25%. Like that, that actually still wouldn't quite fully address the affordability issue or fully unwind what happened over the last couple of years. But I guess just to illustrate, there are scenarios in which the drop is a bit more profound. So uh, hard to be precise beyond that, but we are assuming some housing market weakness. I should say the Bank of and here's where I'm going to start reading some scribbled notes. I didn't know you were going to ask this question. I, I was listening to the Bank of Canada's financial system review uh, yesterday, uh, and and of course they were assessing various financial risks to the economy. And you know, there are a number, of, but of course housing markets and household debt are are a pretty obvious one. And so you know on on the good news side of things, they did emphasize that household net worth in Canada is a lot higher than it was a couple of years ago. Stock markets soared, and they're still way up relative to where they were before the pandemic. Home prices soared. Household wealth is, is way higher and it includes for the most leveraged households. So that gives you a pretty nice buffer. So that's a, a very useful thing. Um, you know, on the, And household debt servicing costs are pretty cheap right now and, and people who've locked in may not have to face any kind of change for quite a number of years. So that's all fairly pleasant. Bank of Canada also looked at people who had taken out mortgages in 2020 and 2021, make some assumptions about interest rates five years from now when those people are presumably renewing and the median mortgage renewal, that person will be paying an extra $420 a month uh, at that point. Now that's some distance off, but it makes the point that these are very real interest rate increases and there is some, some real pain that comes from that. Uh, and you know the, the share of investors, I guess, could be particularly fickle, uh, and uh, th- that has been higher than usual. Not enormously, but it has been higher than usual. So uh, it's, it's it's not a perfectly pretty picture when it comes to housing. And I think the the risk is greater for Canada than elsewhere. But I would say very few parallels to the global financial crisis. You just don't see the the poor lending practices, the poor borrowing practices, the the disintermediation, the opacity of assets. I, I don't think we need to worry about that. I think we just need to think of it more as a this is 
has been a significant driver to the Canadian economy, and it's not going to be a big driver of the economy for a while. And it's been a driver of wealth for Canadians, and maybe there's going to be a few steps backward on that front. Yeah, and you, you, you just start to add it up. So you have $400 on the mortgage, uh, $60, $70 on a, on a tank of gas every time you fill up, a little bit more on the grocery bill, and it's uh, it, it, it adds up to taking a lot of money out of people's pockets. Uh, I, but by the way, my uh, my daughters were listening to that Bank of Canada call yesterday too. So maybe uh, they'll give you a call and compare notes because their uh, teenage uh, teenage girls are, uh, are, are mine anyways, are, are keenly involved in listening to economics broadcasts from the Bank of Canada. So that, that, that sounds like it was quite an, quite an exciting little, uh, little conference call yesterday. Right. <laughs> right. Hey, Dave, one last thing, a, a callback, if it were. Um, we, we mentioned earlier how wage growth ha- has picked up significantly. It, it's running quite high. Um, I would just highlight this, though, which is like wage growth has not nearly kept pace with inflation, right? So people are getting big wage increases. Uh, however, they're not actually any richer. And so, you know, it's not compensating for the higher gas prices and the higher mortgage rates and those sorts of things. So that, that's one of the issues that, that could ultimately limit consumer spending is that actually on a real basis, adjusting for inflation, this is the worst wage growth we've seen going back decades. People are getting poorer at a rate that's been unprecedented. And so that that's really the, the challenge in a nutshell. Yeah. And, uh, you know, Eric, all, 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 all joking aside, we would we would love to uh, to be getting on and, and painting a rosy picture uh, of where we are economically right now. But uh, we think it's really important on this podcast for those of you who listen to us regularly uh, to give you uh, the information straight as Eric sees it. And uh, that helps you make better decisions around your investment portfolio. And uh, right now, I think one of the uh, one of the big signals is you know be cautious, make sure you're talking to your advisor, making good decisions, not just about the short term, but thinking long term how you want to be positioned for what we're experiencing right now, but also for what we're going to experience in the future. And 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 Eric talked about that with respect to. We slow down, perhaps we even have a recession, but as long as we get inflation under control, that sets up a pretty nice picture long-term for the economy. Did, did, I, did I overstate that in any way, Eric? No, no, I think you got it. I would add, uh, you know, markets aren't dumb here. Markets are, are also evaluating these different scenarios, maybe assigning slightly different probabilities to some of them, but but very conscious of these risks and of these situations. That's why the stock market isn't as strong as it was at the start of the year. It doesn't necess- necessarily mean that we need to see a whole lot of further weakness. That, that's a scenario, of course, to the extent that, that, that negative outcomes arise. But the you know, markets have already at least partially priced this kind of thing. And you know, there are opportunities that arise in environments like this as well. Take a look at, at bond yields right now. Now, uh, you know, all the way from government yields to investment grade to, to high yield. Gosh, these are the, the juiciest coupons that we've been able to clip yeah. in, uh, in in decades. And so uh, that, that's a lovely thing for many investors who are on the fixed income side. And it's worth looking past the fact that in the short run, of course, if you hold bonds already, you got a capital loss in there. But from now, for the foreseeable future, you get to clip some bigger coupons. And that that's a, a net win over the long run. Excellent. Well, Eric, uh, we, we covered a lot today. It's always great to catch up with you. Thanks. Uh, I, again, I know how busy you are right now. Thanks for joining us. My absolute pleasure. Until next time. This recording has been provided by RBC Global Asset Management, Inc. for informational purposes only and is not intended to be investment or financial advice. You should consult your own legal, accounting, tax, investment, or financial planning advisors before engaging in any transactions.